0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Vliet! Ah, what an intro! Here we go, welcome back to another audio adventure on Insight. I'm Chris Fanfleet, so good to have you with us on this one, and I'm excited. Well, let's be honest, I'm pretty excited in general, just like day to day, I'm excited, but I'm pumped for this one because we really haven't heard a lot from Bronson Reed, AKA Jonah, since he was released from his NXT contract back in August. This man is full of talent, he's full of potential, and I feel like we only saw a little bit of it during his time in NXT. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram. He's at Jonah is here. And take a screenshot. Let us know that you're listening to this episode. It's always so cool to know that you're on this journey with us. Make sure to tag Jonah. Also, tag me. I'm at Chris Van Vleet. And if you're not already, take a second to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, wherever this audio is entering your ears right now. Jesse0993 is our fan of the week. Thank you so much for this review on Apple Podcasts that says, fantastic, fantastic podcast, great voice. Mm, That's very kind. And asks all the right questions. I love listening to Chris. It's a must listen to. Well, I appreciate that. Jesse0993, thank you for that. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts for your chance to get read out on the show and to get a free shout out. You know, if I were you, I'm just saying, if I had a podcast or a book or a business or something that I wanted to promote, maybe I would slide that into a review and have it read here for everyone to hear for free. Just saying. I'm just saying. All right, let's dive into it. You know him as Bronson Reed, but now he simply goes by Jonah. That's in all caps, by the way. Please, welcome. Jonah. Here we go. Good to see you, Jonah. Good to see you. I'm
1: happy to be on the show.
0: I like your podcast setup here. I don't know if everybody knows this, but you are now a podcaster, YouTuber, Jonah Drome. Let's just get that out of the way right off the bat here.
1: Yeah. uh, I have a new podcast slash YouTube channel. Uh, I'll be uploading my podcast to the YouTube channel, but also other videos. I put up a little snippet of a workout video last night. Um, But yeah, Jonah Drome is also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify as well.
0: All right. So wherever you're listening to this, if you're listening to the podcast version, you can find Jonah Drome. If you're watching on YouTube, I will link it down below. So if you're watching this, you just might as well subscribe. Okay, let's make that happen.
1: Why not? What do you? What do your workouts look like? By the way, you are a large man. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I uh, when I started in the wrestling business, um, I didn't work out at all. You know, I was sort of almost a bit of a scrawny teenager, um, and then my original coach made me do like wrestling workouts so lots of squats, lots of push-ups, uh, and then from there, he's like, you should get into some form of weightlifting, whether it's bodybuilding yeah. or or whatever, and I sort of did you know, my own sort of bodybuilding for a few years, which wasn't getting me really anywhere. Uh, And then I decided to invest in a coach and I actually did some powerlifting and learned some strongman movements. And that's really where I am today. I sort of do a hybrid of uh, power building, which is like powerlifting with some bodybuilding elements at the end of the workout.
0: I think there's a big lesson to be learned here that you got a coach. And I think there's yes. a lot of people that go, "Oh, I'll just, uh, you know, read some Instagram posts or I'll just watch a YouTube video." And I think that there's something so crucial about going out and getting someone who's an expert here and you kind of it's a shortcut to victory.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's the same with I get a lot of uh, aspiring wrestlers asking me for, you know, help or or my opinions on things and I always say find a great wrestling coach or a great wrestling school. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I find it's the same with anything else. Like uh, with, with uh, weightlifting, you have to do the same thing. You can only do so much research of your own
0: yeah. before
1: you can actually have someone show you how to do things. Yeah.
0: And there's also a huge difference between reading about something yeah. or actually <laughs> like talking to someone who's been there and they go, I oh, actually know this is the way we should do it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I will say YouTube is very helpful though. There's a lot of it is. great content out there for like, uh, uh, different types of, uh, sports and working out, but also from that you can find coaches on YouTube. So mm-hmm. it, it's a great avenue for that.
0: And with this, your coach could live in another part of oh. the country. They could live in another country.
1: Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: Sorry. Are you enjoying the podcasting world? You're at this point, as we record, you're two episodes in, right?
1: Yeah, I am. Uh, you know, it's something that I wanted to do for for a little while, and now that I've started it, I found that it is um, both. It keeps myself entertained, gives me something to focus on in the time being, but also it's a bit cathartic to be able to uh, speak my mind and and interact with my followers and see what uh, they think as well.
0: Yeah, so you're able to you're able to control whatever it is that you want out. Like you're controlling your own narrative here.
1: Yeah, which is really cool, you know. That's 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 something that I I like about it that uh it is sort of just the inside of my mind and I try to keep my podcast pretty uh raw and unfiltered. I don't really make many edits. I just sort of speak yeah. <laughs> for about a half an hour, 45 minutes and then that's what you get.
0: I'm guessing you didn't think you'd be at this point. Like when you got released, I was very no. surprised.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of people were surprised um obviously myself uh but a lot of the people that i worked with are very surprised so having the podcast has has been cathartic and has let me uh show people exactly my side of things as well
0: yeah so how have you handled this release and now kind of looking forward to what's next
1: yeah uh well, it was very shocking at first. You know, I i was, I would be lying if I say I wasn't upset and angry and all of the emotions that come with something like this. I think um, it's like the seven stages of grief, even though, you know, I didn't physically lose anyone. It was almost like Bronson Reed had died. You know what I mean? I I'd yeah. spent the last few years investing myself and into that character and becoming Uh, Bronson Reed and now that's over and I have to look to something new Um, and I bring it back a little bit of what I used to do before WWE being Jonah again Uh, but it was hard but it's something I think that I've been able to deal with well Um, I've had hardships in life and in the professional wrestling business before that has sort of prepared me for if this day was to come I just didn't think it would be anytime soon
0: yeah I guess you you know you sign a WWE contract knowing that one day you might get released I mean pretty much yes. everybody gets released
1: but yeah.
0: is it two years from now five years from now or 25 years from now so this came way sooner than you expected
1: yeah uh, I mean for, for me I had you know I had started uh, the start of 2019 mm-hmm. uh, that was a three-year deal and only the start of this year I actually signed a new three-year deal. Um, so I, that w- I was blindsided that then halfway through the year almost or a little bit after halfway through the year that uh, I was released. Also, given where I was placed in the card, how I was utilized, uh, I didn't think it was coming. Yeah. So what was your immediate reaction to finding out? Uh, it, it was definitely shock. You know, I, I uh, got the call while I was watching SmackDown, actually. I I was under the impression the last few months with WWE that I would be moving up to a SmackDown or a Raw. Um, So when I got the call, I assumed it was about going to Raw or going to SmackDown. So I was quite happy on the phone, uh, ready to hear that news. And then when it was that I was getting released, like I just completely changed, like shock and awe. And uh, I made sure to question why. And they didn't really give me a reason at all, which is even more frustrating because then you do question yourself, like what happened? Um, But yeah, I think shock was the initial reaction. And then I was a little bit more angry than upset that I feel like there was a lot that I could have done that got sort of taken away. But now I see it as it's an avenue for me to do that somewhere else.
0: Yeah, there's still an opportunity for you to show exactly what you're capable of. It's just
1: going to be somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. So that's on them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and so those are those conversations happening right now about what your next move will be?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I'm in uh, talks with the major promotions that you would probably expect me to be in talks with. Um, nothing set in stone just of yet, but uh, there will be soon.
0: So your 30 days are up, but yes. the bigger thing that you've got to worry about with which is such an unfortunate situation is yeah. you got to figure out immigration. You, you know, you had a visa that was with WWE. So, yeah. Now you've got to figure out a way to legally work in
1: the US. Yeah, so that's a big thing, I think, Um, unless you are from a foreign country, uh, you don't realize. So you know, a lot of the people that did get released at the same time as me were straight away after their 30 days on some independent shows doing things. And I, I have a lot of fans reach out and be like, oh, you should do this show or do that. And I've had a lot of independent promotions reach out to me. And they don't quite understand, like, no, legally, I'll get in a lot of trouble if I do this. So um, there's processes and things that we have to do as a a foreigner working here in the States. And uh, that's what I'm working on at the moment.
0: I've had this exact same conversation with the Iconics. So Jazz and Cass. I had the same conversation with Buddy Murphy. had the same conversation with Chelsea Green, who's from Canada. The exact same situation.
1: Yeah, yeah. It can be very frustrating because obviously... um, And all the people you mentioned and and myself included, like I have the itch to wrestle straight away. So even having that 30-day period of break, that's all I'm thinking about. Like, I want to do this. I want to do that. And then you're like, okay, but now I need to do this as well. So it just extends it for even longer. And yeah, it it does make it frustrating.
0: And it's not as simple as just like filling out a form and like magically you get a green card.
1: (laughs) No, not not at all. So uh, there's lots of hoops to to be... uh, jumping through and then at the same time you need to find an employer who also is willing to jump through those hoops with you so
0: yes jump through those hoops and I don't know if everybody realizes this pay a fairly
1: handsome sum yeah definitely it does make it difficult when uh uh, I always say to a lot of wrestlers save your money I'm I'm not the best example of that I, I try to um, but yeah, it does make it difficult when you're 30 days of pay are up and then you yeah. also have to pay these other big fees, but you're not getting paid any income at the same time. So, yeah.
0: And you're still also having to pay, you know, the day to day, your, your rent and yeah. your mortgage, your, your, your car, what, all these other things too.
1: Yeah. And that accrues, you know, I, I've had people, um, a lot of fans from back home be like, "Oh, just move back to Australia or, 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 or that sort of instance. One, it'd be a. A killer for me as a professional wrestler to move back to Australia at the moment given the current pandemic and everything that it would be too hard to even get that sorted but two you know i've built a life here in the states you know my wife moved with me we moved our pets over you know i i rented a house i have a car payment like insurance all those things you don't realize you've built up until you realize (laughs) something like this happens
0: Yeah. And then if you did move home, it's so easy to get comfortable. And I'm not saying that you would get comfortable or you would get complacent, but it's so easy to go back home and just, I don't know, not be as driven as you would be here.
1: Uh, Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Like I love Australia and, uh, especially the Australian wrestling scene is something that's, you know, growing and getting better, uh, year by year, but it's still on the complete opposite side of the world um so getting bookings and things like that was difficult you know i went through that um whereas here there's so much more opportunity so
0: when you were growing up was it like i'm going to be a wrestler no matter what this was the dream this was the goal
1: yeah 100% you know since i was a little kid like i've been such a wrestling fan my whole life since since i can remember i've been a wrestling fan that's probably <laughs> one of the things that defines me as a human being um, so I, as a kid always would say to my parents and and my family, like, I'm going to be a, a wrestler one day. And obviously when you're a kid, people go, oh yeah, like they don't think you're being serious. Yeah. And then as a teenager, that sort of passion just grew even more. And I, and I wanted to do it even more. I wanted to start wrestling training when I was a teenager and my mother wouldn't let me, She's like, no, no, no. You have to finish high school at least, uh, which I did. And then as soon as I finished high school, I started wrestling training. And that's what I wanted to do. And obviously, it wasn't so much of a career path in Australia in 2007. Um, So it was just I wanted to be the best wrestler I could be locally. And then it grew from there.
0: So all your friends are going off to university. Yeah. (laughs) You go off to wrestling school.
1: Yeah, yeah. Very, very different paths. You know, Uh, I have a very close friend of mine that grew up watching wrestling with me uh, in high school. And, uh, he went on to university. He did want to be a wrestler at one point, but obviously people's mindset change. And I still wanted to be that wrestler. And it's just funny, like speaking about the different paths that, you know, imagine if he had become a professional wrestler, what he would be doing or if I didn't, and I did go to university, like it's, it's really interesting to think. Now,
0: What would you be doing?
1: I really don't know, to be honest. You know, I've I've put all my eggs in that one basket. People say not to do that, but I always sort of uh, bet on myself that I would become a professional wrestler. Uh, in high school, though, I had a big. Uh, I was uh, very big into film. I still am. I still love of movies and things of that sort. So I would direct short films in high school, like for essays and things like that. So. I remember at the time thinking if, if for some reason I can't become a professional wrestler, I was going to try and get into directing or something mm. along that sort. Yeah. But which never eventuated. But I also did drama in high school. Like I did, I did it all the way through to the, the end of schooling. Yeah. And uh, those things sort of helped me, I guess, with my wrestling career, like acting and the love for film
0: did wwe or a career in pro wrestling even seem possible in 2007 because and i raised this point with buddy murphy and the iconics there wasn't a pro wrestler from australia that was in wwe until teniel dashwood
1: yeah um for me not at all like i i thought that i'd be wrestling just in australia and then i had dreams of wrestling in japan which i actually went on to do um but because there was no representative or someone to represent australia in the wwe it just seemed like a very um long hill to to, to, to you know get up and uh once tenille got in and then buddy and the iconics it became more of a this is something that could become possible and yeah. that's that's when i started gearing my career towards possibly getting into wwe
0: so how did you start that process? Did they have an, uh, an audition or tryout?
1: Uh, yeah. So I uh, was wrestling in Japan during the first time I did my tryout, which is 2014. Um, I was wrestling in Japan. I knew there was a WWE tryout coming up in Australia. So I flew back. Uh, I made sure to be there in Australia. I did the tryout. Um, at the time, it was ran by Bill DeMott, Uh and Kenyon Seaman. And uh, I did the tryout, but also they actually came out to our local show in Adelaide and watched. Mm. Um, which was which was a big benefit for people that were actually on the show because they got to see them work in front of a live crowd. Um, and I, I had a really cool match that night with uh, Damien Slater, who was in the CWC. Um, and the same night actually was when uh, Cass and Jess wrestled each other and they got signed. So that, that was actually the same night. Uh, so I did that first one and it was sort of a, I didn't get signed from that, but they said, keep working, keep doing what you're doing. We're watching you. Mm. Um, so I, I was like, okay, I'll keep doing that. And then 2000 end of 2016, I did a second tryout again in Australia. Um, and that's where they signed Rhea Ripley. And, uh, they were very much on the cusp of signing me and then to go into like uh similar things with like what's happened recently they were very much close to signing me and then it sort of got taken away it didn't happen and that was where i had to sort of reevaluate myself and decide whether i wanted to keep pursuing wwe yeah and i sort of didn't actively pursue wwe i was like well i'm just going to be the best I can around the world. And then I started getting book places like PWG. I started working in the UK scene and in Europe. And then from that, uh, they're like, we got to, I almost forced them to sign me. <laughs> mm.
0: But was wrestling your full-time job at this point? Or did you have to do something else to pay the bills?
1: So I I always had to work like uh, factory jobs. I did a lot of like sort of uh, manual laboring jobs back in Australia to be able to, yeah, have some money to, <laughs> to then wrestle. Um, it was yeah. really hard when I was wrestling in Japan because I would, I would get contracts for three months at a time. And then that would be like my set pay, like, okay, I'm getting paid for these three months. But then I'll come back to Australia and no workplace will let you go away for three months and then come back. So I was always finding new jobs, like sort of just temporary work. Um, And then I wasn't fully living off wrestling until I want to say 2018, once I was touring like the UK, uh, Europe and doing stuff here in the States for PWG
0: so how quickly did things change for you you know wwe likes you signs you moves you to orlando and then where yeah. do things go from there
1: uh yeah i mean it does seem like it happened really quickly but it, it obviously didn't uh, it took yeah. me a, lo- a long time to to actually get into the wwe um but once it happened it feels like i moved to orlando and i was at p at the pc like uh here in orlando and it was just straight away into training into that, that system that they had at the time, I think it's a little different now. Um, obviously, that place has been gutted and turned into where they run NXT 2.0. Um, but it was like 8 a.m. starts I had. I'd have to get to the PC, we'll do strength and conditioning early in the morning. And then after that, we'll do wrestling training. And then sometimes we'd have like a skull, which is like, you know, watching wrestling as well. But it was pretty much seven days a week when I, First started, we were we were doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but then at the same times we were doing the coconut loops, the the local shows here in Florida uh, on a uh, Friday, Saturday, and then um, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sorry, uh, so Sunday was really the only day I got off, uh, but it was great. I, I loved it. And then from there, obviously, as you start to get on like to NXT TV, you start to do more as well. I started doing all the interstate loops
0: what do you think was the biggest thing that you had to learn or maybe unlearn from your time in Australia to going into the PC? Because they have a very specific way of doing things in WWE or NXT.
1: Yeah, I think that the biggest thing for me is um, uh, training wise, I I was uh, brought into the business by a great coach. uh, Hartley Jackson is his name. And he actually was a coach at the WWE Performance Center for a little while as well. Um, So I was always sort of pretty strict with my training. So that wasn't so much of a surprise to me. It was more just working for TV. So mm. that was the biggest change for me, learning um, that you know you have a camera here, 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 and here, and that's how you have to... They want to see more of this. And when you're so used to working in the independence where everything is about how the crowd is involved, you forget that then when you start working for TV, it's about what the people at home can see and how they can get involved. So that yeah. was the biggest change for me. Yeah. Who came up with
0: the name Bronson
1: Reed? I did actually. Yeah. <laughs> so um I had pitched Jonah maybe a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was adamant, you know, I was Jonah Rock. They didn't want the rock, obviously. They didn't sure. want that part of my name. So
0: I wonder I, why.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on, he doesn't mind. He's he's off doing great things now. <laughs> yeah. Um But uh, I pitched, you know, Jonah Reed and Jonah, like all different last names for Jonah. And they're like, look, let's get rid of Jonah. And I was like, okay. So then I came up with a bunch of different first names, bunch of different last names. And then they they picked Bronson and Reed and then put it together.
0: It's like Mad Libs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically. I feel like a lot of people um, in the last few years, that's how they got their wrestling name was pitching a bunch of first names and a bunch of last names. And then they just pick and choose what that what they like and then that's what you get
0: so moving forward you're jonah Reed or jonah rock sorry
1: i i so at the moment uh i do have jonah rock on like a lot of my things but yeah i'm not 100 percent too sure what i'm do, gonna do but you'll see on my socials it's just jonah yeah. all, ca- all capital letters so that's what i'd like to do just be one name like like prince <laughs> like Prince or Oprah. <laughs> Oprah, yeah, yeah. Just one name, but in all capitals. So Jonah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like uh, having the all capitals puts an emphasis on, on the name. Yeah. yeah.
0: Growing up, who were the wrestlers that you really looked up to? Uh,
1: I mean, I'm such a wrestling fan that I feel like uh, every few years it almost changed for me. Um, but a- as a kid, it was very much WWF at the time. Uh, that's what I used to primarily watch. So as a kid in the 90s, it's your Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Yokozuna. Those sort of guys were were ones that shaped my childhood. Yeah. Um, and then as the Attitude Era came, it was The Rock and Austin. And then as a teenager, I, I've discovered independent wrestling and Japanese wrestling. And so I became a huge fan of Kenta Kabashi. He's still probably one of my all-time favorites. Um, and CM Punk and Samoa Joe. So I I got onto the Ring of Honor bandwagon around the same time they were feuding. And so they sort of shaped my teenage years.
0: I feel like there's a lot of comparisons between you and Samoa Joe.
1: Oh yeah, I, I would get it all the time. And, you know, I I've, gone on to tell him like since meeting him that when I was younger in the business, I just used to do his stuff. Like, (laughs) you know, I find, I find when you first get into the wrestling business, you're like, who can I sort of be like? And you sort of do, you do patent yourself on someone else. Um, And Joe was that guy that I sort of did. And then I became my own wrestler, but uh, he is someone that still, you know, to this day um, inspires me to do the stuff I do.
0: I mean, mean, he's a big guy who moves fast. That's exactly who you are as well.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and as a teenager, like for me, um, I think representation is a big thing. Uh, I'm half Australian, but I'm also half Samoan. Um, so seeing someone of similar stature, but also a Samoan guy in the Indies, like tearing it up, it, it was easy for me to sort of gravitate towards him. Are you a legit three forty? Legitimately, yeah. That is, that's, that's, that's you are a big boy. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> some people would say that. They'd be like you know, I think you're only around 300. I'm like, hey, I can get on the scales if you want me to. <laughs> try and pick me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try and pick me up and move me around. But yeah, shoot yeah. three. Tell me if
0: I'm 300 pounds if you try to pick me up.
1: <laughs> is, is
0: this where you feel comfortable?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I found um, as I got bigger in, in my pres- professional wrestling career, like I started, when I started wrestling, I was probably around, I want to say 270-ish. So still a big, a big guy, but more of a big kid. I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. I, I always had like a a heavier stature to me. I think that's just given with a lot of the Samoans that you see. Um, but as time went on, I, I tried to get bigger and, and more muscular and stuff like that. And I went to around 300 pounds. Um, and then I started noticing the bigger I got, the more I was getting booked. So the mm. more I became a larger than life personality, and people wanted to see the guy that's over 300 pounds come off the top rope and do those sort of things that you're not used to seeing someone of that size do Uh, so i made it a thing that hey i'm going to get bigger and then once i was in wwe they came up with the moniker colossal they wanted me to be that big guy so i always tried to stay around this same 330 340 pounds um now that i'm out of that i'm no longer colossal bronson reed i probably will stay around the same size but i might go down 20, 25 pounds just, just for my own like uh, life. It's nothing to do with wrestling. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the
0: best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, When you board an airplane, people must think you're a linebacker.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've had that a lot. Yeah, and then when people meet me and they realize that I'm Australian, they're like, you must be a rugby player or you must be this. Um, yeah. And generally, when I say pro wrestler, they go, okay, that makes sense.
0: Oh, that Yeah, <laughs> either a wrestler or a football player, one or the other. Yeah.
1: There, was, there was a big uh, time when we were, uh, it felt like a rib. And I, I don't know if it was, but for the longest time, when we we're doing the live loops for NXT, they would book myself and keith lee in the same row of, of seats and <laughs> if there were if there was anyone in between us like it was the worst trip for them but sometimes they'd book us next to each other and so it would be like this on the on the plane ride next to each other and i'm like someone has to stop doing this yes yeah, so how <laughs> does
0: some how does someone yeah. sit next to you on a plane
1: i mean yeah it makes it difficult like we i always try to go either in the window so i can lean against the window or on the aisle so I can sort of lean out onto the aisle. But then I found that that's a curse because I always used to like the aisle until Mm -hmm. I got bigger. And now that I'm on the aisle, people just bump into you as they walk past the whole trip. So the window is the best seat for a big guy.
0: The only advantage to the aisle is you don't have to ask two people to get up when you need to go to the bathroom. It's the only advantage.
1: Yeah, I find like the aisle might be good for like long flights going overseas and stuff like that where you can get up, stretch your legs. But if it's a shorter flight, the window seats definitely the better.
0: There was uh, so I had a window seat. I just flew yesterday, actually. I flew back from Toronto, yep. and I had to go to the bathroom so badly, <laughs> but the guy next to me was asleep the entire flight. Yeah, so I was and doing you, that you thing where you're like, <clears> throat> 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 "Oh, oh, yeah. you woke up. Oh, great. Uh, can I go to the bathroom now?"
1: <laughs> Give him a little little nudge. Yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> so sorry. Oh, it's hard because you know I, I'm a very polite person as well. I feel like, uh, should I tell them? But if you got to go, you got to go.
0: And, that, and, and I think that they realize that. Yeah,
1: yeah. When you're, the, when
0: you're the aisle seat, you have to realize there's some concessions that need to be made.
1: Yeah. What about this? So here's, here's a discussion I've had with mm. a lot of wrestlers and a lot of people that do a lot of traveling over time. The middle seat, do they get both of the armrests?
0: The, yes, because they got yeah. nothing
1: else. I think so as well. But I've seen a lot of people on the aisle seat take that armrest as well. As no, that's aisle. just rude. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's rude as well.
0: I mean, the middle person gets nothing. The middle person yeah. is, that's the worst possible place to be
1: seated. So
0: yeah. yeah. Or or sometimes what you'll see is they get the back of the armrest and maybe you get the front of the armrest.
1: That's true. Yeah, that's true. I I always, uh, if, I, if for some reason I have to sit in a middle seat, I try to wait to, as we're taking off and then I will lean forward on that seat. <laughs> oh, so then they can do whatever, but I'll just be leaned forward. <laughs>
0: I can't imagine you in a middle seat. No, it's
1: awful. (laughs) It's it's, not
0: good. It's probably awful for you, but like for your seatmates, they're probably like, What the heck?
1: Yeah, yeah. My big thing is like I don't need the biggest amount of leg room. It's the width for me. So if I ideal world, if I can have no one in the middle seat and I'm sitting on the aisle or on the uh, window seat, I can just spread my legs out and then I'm I'm good.
0: To maintain 340 pounds, you must be eating a substantial amount of calories every day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was like, so I, I was in a surplus for the longest amount of time. Now I'm sort of just in a in a maintenance where I I can eat around 4,000 calories. And I love still, that that's maintenance. <laughs> that's ma- yeah. Well, <laughs> there are there are some big guys like uh, strongman competitors and stuff like that that eat. 10,000 calories a day. Right. And so people think that I'd be eating over 5,000 or, or 6,000 calories. And I'm like, uh, around 3,500. But yeah, yeah. I do eat quite a bit every day. Is, is uh, sure, I, Eating
0: 3,500 calories of like decently clean food. It's is hard. not easy.
1: No, it's a lot of rice. I eat a lot of rice. I have a, uh, great rice cooker that, uh, I I set in the morning, put it on, and then I leave it on. It's one that you can like keep heated the whole way through the day, and then that's how I get through through the day.
0: Rice and oatmeal, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, for the biggest time when I was trying to put on weight and get bigger, I had so much, so many like oats for breakfast, and then after like uh, my lunch, I'd work out, and then I'd have my protein shake, but then I'd have oats as well, yeah. and then sometimes before di- like before going to bed, I'd have oats again. Yeah. Like it's it's definitely something a lot of people utilize. And it's During,
0: cheap. Yeah, oh yeah, it's so cheap. You can buy a big tub for like three dollars.
1: Yeah. During your time in NXT,
0: would you say that winning the North American Championship was like really what started to put you on a trajectory for success?
1: I think so. Yeah. I think um before winning the uh North American Championship, I was doing well. And then uh lucky for me, Hunter sort of had his eye on me and then it was in his mind hey we want to make you one of our top guys and on our show and it, he had that discussion with me that eventually i was gonna become north american champion and then obviously i had more things planned for towards the end of this year which are not happening anymore um so you had that- them planned or they had them planned for you they had them planned. I'd been wow. told a lot of things. Which,
0: NXT champion, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah which in a, in the wrestling business, things chop and change so much that even though I was told things numerous times, I'm like, we'll wait and see. That's what I always say. Even with winning the North American Championship, I got a nice replica up there. Yeah, uh, I I was like, I'll wait until that actually happens before I'm <laughs> before I'm happy about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Hunter Hunter saw something in me, which I I appreciated, and then. Uh yeah, I became the North American champion, and that sort of made me a, a made man, if you will. Uh, not just in NXT, but I think in the wrestling business. I think becoming that sort of champion, people across all platforms of wrestling notice it and go, Oh wow, look at what happened. I was lucky enough to not just have a feature match where I won the championship, but it was a cage match. It was on television, they made a big deal out of it. We got like uh custom posters and everything for the match, and then I was lucky enough that uh, Hunter said to bring my wife into the ring afterwards as well. So very, very great moment for me in wrestling.
0: And it's also the fact that it's Johnny Gargano who's putting you over. Yes. He's like, I mean, he's one of the nicest people in the entire industry. But he's also like Mr. NXT. So for you to have a win over him for a championship, I think would mean a lot.
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, People have asked me like who was the your favorite opponent to have in NXT. And I always say, Johnny, um, even though we only really worked with each other you know, a handful of times, I just think he, he is a very uh, adamant professional at what he does, but he's always looking to have the best, uh, best match possible, mm-hmm. which which you'll find in this business. I'm very much a similar mindset. I always want to try and put on the most entertaining match, whatever I can do with whoever my opponent is. But unfortunately, there are those people that things get political, or or they don't want to have their best match with this person or or that stuff happens in this business whereas johnny's not like that at all he just wants to go out there and have a great wrestling match yeah. i'm the same so i think we mesh really well and when you do think of nxt those three letters i think if you're not thinking about hunter you're either thinking of johnny gargano adam cole or Tommaso champa like they're the yeah. names that you think of
0: i've known johnny since 2010 when i was living in cleveland yeah, there you and- go watching him on the independence scene it's exactly what you're talking about he always wanted to have the best match no matter where he was on the card and no matter who he was working with
1: yeah and i think that's a commendable thing as a professional wrestler you can go out there no matter where you are no matter how many people there are no matter yeah. who your opponent is and just trying to have the best match possible that's the key to being a good pro wrestler like pro wrestler in my books
0: and after you won the North American Championship, you're right. Your wife came into the ring. Yeah, uh, it was it was like an emotional moment. I think for you and yeah. your wife.
1: it definitely was like uh, we've been through a, a lot of um, you know hardships and struggles within our life, and also she's seen me. So we're we're high school sweethearts. We we started uh, dating in high school. So she's actually seen me throughout my whole professional wrestling career. When I started as a rookie and coming up, and then starting to wrestle in Japan and around the world and just knowing how I had this dream of wrestling in WWE and then to become a champion, I think it was, yeah, very emotional. Like I myself, I remember my wife, Paige is her name, uh, during the day um, we brought her in to be seated to watch the show and she's like, do you think you'll cry like you when you're in the belt? I'm like, no, no, that won't happen. Because I've, I've only cried one other time in the ring in the professional wrestling business. So I was like, no, no, that's not going to happen. And then I remember when I won the championship, they like raised the cage and then I was holding the belt and then all like fireworks went off and I just started crying. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I think it was just what a moment. Yeah. Yeah. 14 years of hard work to get to this moment. I couldn't help myself.
0: What was the other moment where you cried in the ring?
1: Uh, it was actually in Australia. I, it, it's one of my favorite moments I've ever had in wrestling. So when I got signed to WWE, uh, I did like a three-day tour where I got to do Melbourne, Sydney, and then my hometown of Adelaide and do my last shows in Australia before going on to WWE. Um, and every city tripped me really well. Like everyone threw streamers in the ring for for um, my going away sort of tour. And then the last date was in my hometown of Adelaide. So a lot of my friends and family were in attendance. Um, Wrestle Rampage, which is the company that I was wrestling for in Adelaide, I was a coach for. And so I helped bring a lot of those people into the business. So uh, after the match, I I sort of got on the microphone and thanked all the fans and everyone for supporting me over all those years. And then again, I brought my wife into the ring and then I just Pulled my eyes out. (laughs) Couldn't help it. It was just one of those moments. And then, you know, having that whole crowd cheer for you. And just, it was just a happy moment. So,
0: and, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's not like a lot of Australians have made it or been signed to WWE. No,
1: no, it's true. So I, I'm a big advocate for Australian wrestling. Like I always you know, when they were having tryouts and stuff, I would always be like, oh, there's this guy. If he can make it over here, can you see him? And, like, I'm always helping people back home. And I still think now, like, obviously people like the Iconics and and uh, myself and more Australia Rhea Ripley, like doing great things is going to help the Australian wrestling scene and help people get noticed. But I still think there's still a long way to go to where... um Australians are taken even more seriously in the business. So like even us winning championships, I still think it just needs to be that for the next few years before people go, Hey, Australia's on the map in, in uh professional wrestling.
0: When you talk to your friends or your family back home, do they think you have an American accent now? Sometimes
1: I think, <laughs> I don't think you sometimes, do. no, no. I think, uh, I've always been one even before moving to America. I've had not a mixed accent, but, uh, The Adelaide accent is a little different to your general Australian. So a lot of the times here, people will say, are you from England? Or they'll think I'm British. Or they won't even notice I have an accent. Whereas uh, like my wife, people pick up her accent straight away and be like, oh, where are you from? And then she'll (laughs) say Australia. But sometimes I'll be standing in, in line, like say if we go to the Supermarket. We go to Publix or something like that. They'll always be like, "Oh, where Publix. are you from?" Oh. Yeah, Publix, <laughs> pub subs. Oh, the pub subs are great. I like oh, it. good. I like a good pub sub. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, sometimes they don't even pick up on my accent. So,
0: well, I spoke to Jessica McKay like an hour before I spoke to you, and her accent's completely different from yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's. Uh, so si- she's from Sydney, and I think it's very similar to here in the states or the UK. There's all sort of slight differences in our accents. Um, yeah. If you ever speak to Rhea Ripley, she will have a similar accent to me, but the girls have a bit more of a, how can I say, an Australian twang to their voice. Sure, yeah, <laughs> they're <That's laughs> a little a, bit more high pitched. <laughs> right. I I loved your
0: theme song in NXT. Oh, thank you. When you first heard it, what was your reaction to it?
1: I, I loved it as well, so I was uh, lucky enough to sort of work with the music people, oh, like wow. the people work doing the music, and Road Dog, who was also overseeing like music at the time, and I had had um, like. Generic free music for a little while on NXt TV yeah and uh, there was a huge list of like songs you can choose out of and I and I spent maybe an hour or an hour and a half trying to find like the best thing I could find because I'm very much under the impression like that means a lot like your your instance music sets the tone for who you are and as you're coming out, so I wanted something good, and what I had was decent, but for the longest time I'm like I need something custom or something different and uh then when they decided like hey we're going to give you new entrance music uh, i was very hands on with road dog like okay i want i want like a siren at the start i wanted the feel to sort of be like a godzilla movie yeah uh, I, I wanted hip hop i'm like i need deep sort of bass like I, I, that just sort of sets the tone for you know the big guy coming out and then what they did produce was fantastic
0: and the beat kind of like mimics the way you would walk
1: i don't know it sets the mood yes. so perfectly yeah yeah Uh, I I was uh, on the independence, I came out to a song by a group called Death Grips, which a lot of people aren't familiar with. They're they're pretty, you know, underground sort of band, but it was very heavy bass. And so straight away, like as soon as you heard that music, you heard this bass. It was like it did set the tone of like who's coming up, but not just that. It was like a slow brooding bass. So then I could walk to it and then people, you know. It, it it does. It sets the character. And I wanted the same thing in NXT, and that's what they did.
0: I think another thing that really endeared you to the fans is something you probably weren't even aware of when it was happening at first, but it was the way that Wade Barrett would say tsunami.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was perfect. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So I I uh, had told Wade, so I've been doing the splash off of the top rope, and I said, I want you to, uh, I call it the tsunami because it's not just a big splash. it's It's even bigger. Uh, yeah. And I came up with that and, uh, you know, we had different announcers at the time. They were good. But then as soon as Wade got his hands on it and he he didn't tell me he was going to say it like that, I was like, wow, that's great. And then it sort of became a thing. And yeah, I, I said, that's definitely something I miss hit the way he calls it because he, he does it great.
0: You Can you still call that move the tsunami? I think
1: so. Like, well, I, so, Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to uh, some people from WWE and said, like, is that something that would be trademarked? And they said it should it shouldn't be you know it was something guy came up with, so I think it should be fine. I know I know like Adam Cole still does the Panama Sunrise, I think he still yeah. calls it that. So yeah, yeah,
0: he still calls himself
1: Adam Cole too. I mean yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there is that.
0: <laughs> so did you ha- I mean did you have to speak with WWE and say all right what can I do and what can I not do?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, I was very uh, I made sure when I was getting released to sort of ask as many questions as possible. So then going forward, it makes it easier, not just with wrestling, but also the immigration side of things. Um, And yeah, I asked those sort of things, you know, things to do with intellectual property and Bronson and those sort of things. I'm glad that I, at the time I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Jonah or I was going to call myself Bron. And I'm glad I didn't call myself Bron because now Bron, Bron Breaker is on uh, NXT 2.0 and I'm like, oh, Luckily I didn't, (laughs) I didn't call myself that. So yeah, I I made sure to get a discussion with those sort of things and you know what I can and can't do.
0: So moving forward here, once everything gets cleared up with immigration, what are the goals that you have in mind for yourself?
1: Uh, I have a lot of goals, you know, I still want to be active on, on uh, American television, but not just that. I want to be in the wrestling world for again people back home to be able to watch media back home so that it shows you know with the current direction that uh nxt and wwe have said they're going in with how they're hiring people i think it sort of deflated a lot of people back home that are indie wrestlers that hey what do i do now like this was my goal Mm -hmm. um and i want them to see that there are other avenues that you can take and be successful and And uh, another way to do it. So that's that's my goal is to prove that you can still be very successful and not have to be in WWE.
0: Well, I think when you look at the landscape, and I know you're still in discussions with everybody, but you'd be such a great fit in aew with what they've got going on there you'd be such a great fit with impact wrestling and be like a a great big man there and your style since you've already worked in japan would be so good for new japan so yeah wherever it is that you land i feel like you're going to be so successful
1: no thank you very much i've I've tried to do that in my career to be the sort of wrestler that you could fit anywhere Mm -hmm. I, i tried to do that like say if i wrestled in japan i fit in japan or if i wrestled for this company i fit there Um, But also, I feel like I tried to make myself a wrestler that I could be a time, not that you could ever do it, but you could travel in time and and put Jonah in the 1960s scene and I'd work. You could put me in the 80s, you could put me in the 90s, 2000s, and and I work in any sort of scene so that I've tried to make myself that wrestler.
0: We see Terry Funk over your left shoulder here. Was he a big inspiration or just like the art?
1: no big big inspiration uh terry funk uh just there's something about the way that he he works the way he sells definitely the way he sells like when people ask me like who should i be watching for selling i'm always like terry funk uh and and he has a great like aggression that is hard to have if you just don't have it naturally it's just something he has uh but yeah big fan of terry funk um dusty roads a, a lot of those sort of guys coming out of texas i'm a, I'm a big fan of stan hansen mm-hmm. yeah what else ben do we have Rhodes. behind That's you here to- uh i have dusty roads i have okay yeah yeah i actually have a vader mask that his son sent me that he actually wore so i'm big, wow big, big fan of vader and so i have that mask are um, those
0: hogan sunglasses below that
1: no they're actually rikishi, rikishi sunglasses yeah so uh for an NXT live show, we did a Halloween Battle Royal, and I dressed up as Rikishi. Uh, <laughs> I was Reed Kishi. And, ah. dur- and during the Battle Royal, Scotty Tuhoti, who was a coach at the time, yeah. actually came out. We eliminated people, and then we did. he did the worm, we did the dance in the ring. And so uh, he actually gave me a pair of Rikishi sunglasses. So, I Oh my that, gosh. But. but yeah, a lot of wrestling memorabilia. I have a lot of figures that I've collected while being here. I have a big figure collection back home as well. Uh, and yeah, the replica of the North American Championship. Well,
0: and you said you're a big fan of film. Uh, I'm also a big fan of film and, you know,
1: I've been a movie critic for a lot of my career. Oh, good. What's,
0: what's your favorite film of all time?
1: So, this is hard. So, I've been asked this a lot of times. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I give someone a different answer every time. Okay, well, give us a couple. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh, fine. I think uh, for me, I, I always say Jaws. I'm a huge fan of Jaws. Um, the Shining Spielberg
0: is just incredible. Spiel-
1: yeah, Spielberg is great. Yeah, uh, I think The Shining is up there for me. Oh yeah,
0: Oof. you're just naming um, great directors now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very, I'm very big on the directors as well. Um, but if I'm thinking of things that are maybe a little bit more in the recent, maybe ten years or so, a movie called Drive with Ryan Gosling. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Of course, F- yeah. fa- fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parasite,
0: which oh, is a Korean gr- movie.
1: Yeah, fantastic movie. Um, but all time for me, yeah, it'd probably be Jaws, The Sh- The Shining, The Blues Brothers, I'm a huge fan of, that's something I've watched hundreds of times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a few for you.
0: You want to talk about great directors. I think that Christopher Nolan makes oh. masterpieces
1: every single time. Inter- Interstellar is definitely in my... Top ten for sure. Like, yeah.
0: And I didn't love Interstellar when I walked out of the theater and I saw it the first time. Me too.
1: Yeah. When I first watched it, I was like, "No, this is whatever." And then I think by the end of the movie, it it definitely had me. Uh, But then when I go back and I watch like just just to watch it from start to finish and how well it's made, uh, and also McConaughey's like performance in that. Yeah, it's. it's I go
0: back and watch the scene where. He watches the 23 years of video messages after being on the water planet. Yeah. And I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now because the great thing about that scene is we can all put ourselves in his position.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're
0: watching your kids grow up before your very eyes. Yeah. And he tells this great story, actually, that they were setting up on that day to shoot a wide shot first. Yep. And he was getting into the emotional headspace of this character. And he just took a piece of paper and a pen and he wrote C you and pass it to the director of photography for close-up okay and they went okay everyone let's reset let's reset for a close-up because he knew his best performance was going to be on the close-up and when you watch the scene back you see it of it's course so authentic and so raw
1: yeah i i always try to um i've done some like obviously in high school drama and stuff but uh also i've done some acting classes within the wwe and things like that and to be able to channel that sort of emotion oh. it's always intriguing to me i always look up you know online how people because people do different things they they picture different things in their head or they have to get into a certain mind space and when you get performances like that they are very special they're things i'm the same like i'll go back and watch like certain scenes and be like ah oh, this is great acting <laughs> like in different yeah. movies yeah
0: well and the great thing about someone like mcconaughey is he's not acting he's in that moment like yes he is that character
1: yeah i think i've heard that many times like the best acting is reacting People always yeah. say that, and yeah. I, I'm very much the same with professional wrestling. I think if you're in the moment, moment and you believe what you are doing is is real, then the people watching are gonna feel that as well. So you have to be as real as possible in in anything that you're doing. And that's
0: when you know the character better than anybody else. You know Bronson Reed at the time better than anybody else, and you have to ask yourself, how yeah. would Bronson Reed
1: react yes. to this? Yeah, hundred percent.
0: The situation.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's the. The best thing to sort of think about, like, uh, for people getting into the business, if you have like an over-the-top character, or even if you yourself, like, very much Bronson Reed, Jonah, or just myself, but at a heightened level. But there's still a way that Bronson Reed would walk to the ring, different to how I'd walk in normal life. And you have to think about all those little things, like how would he react to this? How would he even look into the camera or hold a microphone? Or and think of all those little nuances and. Whether people pick up on them or not, that's that's for debate, but it's something for me that I can look back on and go, oh, okay, I'm happy I did
0: Yeah. That. Speaking of films, have you seen Ex Machina?
1: No, I have never seen that. So I've had a lot of people tell me like, hey, you should see this movie, uh, a friend back home who's big on, on watching movies and reviewing them as well. And that's something that is in my, I have an app called Letterboxd where I review movies and rate movies. And it's in my watch list of things to watch. So, oh, you need
0: to watch this immediately. Watch okay. And then send me a message and tell me what you think. Especially okay, with the
1: ending. I will. I will. I definitely will. Oh, watch it's it. so good. Okay, good. I'm always looking for things to watch. So, if someone recommends me something, I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot.
0: When that movie ends, you're going to go, what the hell? And you're also going to go, but wait, what is the right? <laughs> like, it's a, such a moral quandary. Kind of like, have you seen Gone Baby Gone?
1: Yes, I have. Yes, mega great. moral
0: quandary at the end of that
1: movie. Yeah, yeah, great movie though.
0: Great movie. Arrival. Yeah. Have you seen Arrival?
1: Yes, I have seen Arrival again. again good movie. Arrival
0: yeah. ends, and you go, ah.
1: Oh, yeah, I love should those she sort of. Have movies. told him? Should she not have told him? Yeah, I think the best sort of art is the art that leaves it for interpretation, and then you can speak to people like, "I think it's this," or "I think it's that," or uh, "I think that's sort of the the best way to feel after a movie."
0: We sh- we can have another podcast episode where we're just talking about movies for
1: three hours.
0: <laughs> hey, I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've really enjoyed
1: this, and I am so excited for
0: what's next for you. Uh,
1: thank you very much. I've enjoyed it too, and yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of big things on the horizon for Jonah.
0: Well, you've you know you've also been hit up by so many people for so many different interview requests and other things. So I appreciate yeah. you trusting me with your time for this.
1: No, of course. Yeah, I've I'm very much. Uh, I've been a little bit selective, but I make sure to like, look up the people that I do speak to. And uh, you were one that was not only recommended to me by uh, other friends, but from watching, I made sure to go and watch some of your other uh, interviews and uh, I was like, oh, it's a no brainer.
0: Oh, well, thank you. And, yeah. and you might know that I end every interview with the same questions. So I talk about gratitude all the time and I start and end every day saying out loud three things that I'm grateful for. So what are three things in your life that you're grateful for?
1: three things in my life. Uh, I'm grateful for my wife. Uh, I'm grateful for all the support that I get from people online and all my followers. And I'm grateful for Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) Not just coffee in general, Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah, Starbucks. (laughs) Iced mocha is my uh, mocha, sorry, here in the States is my go-to.
0: That so it's it's just an iced mocha or what yeah. else are you doing to this? No,
1: just just straight iced mocha. Did they not, spell
0: your name correctly on the? No, cup?
1: no whipped cream. Uh, you know what? They didn't ask me my name today, so <laughs> which is oh, very just strange. Like, we'll give it to the big guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is very strange. But yeah, <laughs> that is
0: strange. Usually, like you know, I'll say my name's Chris, and the next thing you know, like I don't know, I spelling Chris without an H or something.
1: Yeah, they they never get my name right, so I always just say J, and then they'll be like, uh, the letter J, and I'm like, yeah, sure, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, good enough. Yeah, that'll do.
0: Well, Jay, Jonah, whatever we <laughs> want to call you, thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'm pumped, pumped for what's next for you.
1: Thank you. Great things.
0: There we go. What do you think? What do you think? Also, I'm curious. What's your favorite movie of all time? Send us a message on Twitter or Instagram and let us know. Jonah is at Jonah is here. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Also take a screenshot and let us know that you're on this adventure with us. I said it a few times during this conversation, but I'm so excited to see what's next for Jonah. The best is yet to come. As Lewis Carroll, the author who wrote Alice in Wonderland, once said, it's no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. Be great. Be grateful. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight.